OMG. That was crazy and something I haven't had happen in a really long time. Hi, welcome back to Plus This. I'm Kathy Deach. I'm sorry to be a tad bit late. You know, I've been really spoiled getting here in 7.5 minutes because <laughs> I actually do live very close to the studio. But it got, it was standstill as soon as I pulled on and it ends up there was a crime and a police force checking the side of the road for a weapon and helicopters. It was insanity. Thank you for your patience with me. And thank I have to thank my guest for her patience. I mean, all I want to do is talk to her, which is why I wanted her all to myself today. Um, she's the U.S. editor of Slink Magazine, which is, if you don't know it, please get familiar. It's just so hot and beautiful and, like, the quality that fat women deserve. And she put together a kick-ass, a kick-ass edition Um with being down in quarantine, like being on lockdown. And I was so proud that she asked me to take part and like the company I'm keeping is amazing. We're gonna talk more about that. She also is like raising money and and has a hashtag quarantine couture and we're gonna show you pictures of that because why not? Please welcome my guest, Renee Cafaro. Hi, girl. Hey. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad to see you all blinged out and making me happy. I really, like, oh, yeah. I, like, turned out my look today for you. I was like, I'm going to bring my leather and gold and my leopard. I'm I mean, <laughs> if it wasn't 9 p.m. right now, I would probably be wearing leather and leopard as well. But, you know, just the casual rhinestone tracksuit. I mean, it's fabulous, <laughs> as is the painting. Yeah, comfortable for being, you know, a rhinestone tracksuit. So That's hard. That's actually hard. Blinged out stuff so is hard to keep comfy. Yeah. I know. I've been trying to find stuff that's fashionable and doesn't make me feel like, a, you know, totally like I'm wearing pajamas, but it's comfortable enough to me stay in quarantine forever. <laughs> I know. Oh, forever. Forever and ever. And I love that painting in the background. Like, you highlight your space so beautifully. It makes me want to stay overnight. Like, I want to hang out and have a sleepover. <laughs> I wish that you could come have a sleepover. I've actually been thinking a lot about making a pillow fort. Um, <laughs> yes. Try, you know, having my own slumber party, uh, you know, in here. Because I'm getting a little bored. I have not uh, left my apartment at all since March 15th. Yeah, and just to be clear, you are in Manhattan. You are in New York City. I am in New York City, and, um, you know, I get to look at a wonderful city that is dormant right now, and it's weird to miss the city I'm currently in, but that's... Yeah, yeah, that is, you know, a lot of my New York friends, I'm sorry, things are beeping, and I want them to stop. Um, (laughs) Things are hard in New York, I think, especially because part of it is the movement and the fact that it's not moving is really like taking people aback you know it's one of the it's one of the things people love about it I mean true and I mean I'm extremely fortunate that I have the apartment that I have um I think people most people in, in New York need a special prize at the end of this like to get some sort of bonus get something for the like strength it takes to be, you know, with roommates or in like a studio apartment for months on end. I mean, most people come to New York, just they they don't care if they live in a shoebox. The point is you're outside, Uh, you know, you're out of your house most of the day. Like I rarely ever saw my apartment for the longest time. I'd always be, you know, triple book, running around, doing things, experiencing the city. And it's just so weird um, to feel like, you know, I'm clearly home and this is home, but, but feel so far away. Yeah. Well, what's, interesting is that someone as busy as you as like everywhere anyone needs you to be at any time (laughs) not just in New York but in the world like you are an incredible world traveler and have like I if people don't know her Instagram you have to run because it is just delicious her travel logging I just am obsessed with it um (laughs) (laughs) but, but people don't know and I think that this is like really important to talk about is that you're immune compromised so that's why you've been so careful and haven't left the house at all do you want to talk a little bit about that um absolutely I mean I it's actually uh May is arthritis awareness month so I'm happy to talk about it um for any of my friends who are immunocompromised out there that are watching. Uh, I feel you. This is a very, very, very hard time. 
uh, at the beginning of quarantine, I think it was literally like the first week, um, people were already coming out just like pissed off that we're closing things down and, you know, how dare we because the economy matters more and it's just this 3% that is in danger of, of dying. And I'm like, you know, not only can we, you know, we shouldn't be saying that the elderly uh, are, are disposable, but also in that 3% are people like 54 million Americans who live with arthritis like myself, you know, it's not, you know, my choice to have this, this isn't anyone's choice. You become, you know, compromised from a whole host of, of issues. Um, and, you know, to be talked about um, like we aren't here and like we aren't listening is scary. Um, it's sometimes that stress causes flare up. So now we're in more pain. Um, a lot of us are having trouble being able to keep up with our uh, treatment, which is making things worse. So this is really not a great time to have arthritis. So I've been trying to to be as open about this on uh, Foxy Roxy Fashion and you know any of my social media channels um, as I can to sort of normalize uh, the ups and downs, not only mentally, but physically that comes with living with a, a chronic pain disorder. Yeah, I think that people think that it looks a certain way, that it is a certain age, that it is a certain ability, right? Like they think that that, that thing that we think of as immunocompromised has a look to it, much like people think fat people are unwell and all that, you know. Oh, and I can't things. tell you how many people have actually asked like, oh, but like, if you lost some weight, do you think, uh, you know, you wouldn't be in so much pain? Look, the arthritis did not come to me because I'm fat. Uh, it started when I was 11 years old and back when I was much thinner and, um, you know, it hits people of all sizes all ages, um, you know, 300,000 uh, patients right now are children. People get it at birth. Um, I have friends who are, you know, marathoners who have it. So it's, it affects everybody. And um, it's the number one uh, disability in, in the nation. And no one really talks about it because it's seen as grandma's aches and pains, as we call it. Yeah. You, know, you see Tylenol arthritis. You know, that's a very different thing. You know, osteoarthritis is still very painful. Um, but can be handled a different way. You know, this is what I'm talking about is it is degenerative. Um, it affects your immune system. Um, it could be, you know, crippling. Um, and it really robs people of their, their daily lives. I mean, uh, to get really real with you, um, last week, I, I just like felt really defeated because I couldn't open jars. <sighs> like, and you know, with quarantine food and stuff, like, that, like I have a lot of canned stuff. I have a lot of jars. And it's like, if I really forced it, I could like work the can opener. But the fact that I even have to think about right. like mustering the courage to like, <laughs> like, what can I open? I don't have the mental and physical capacity today because the cold front came in randomly and we like had a hailstorm and I'm very susceptible to pressure changes. Mm -hmm. So I had a really, really bad flare up. Everything swelled up and I was in excruciating pain. And basically, like, you know, I'm like, I'm starving, but I can't move my jaw. I can't open any of the food. And, like, the only thing I could manage to open was some cottage cheese. And that was, like, what food was for a couple of days. Mm. And so it's – and then I've also finished the four half marathons in my life. Right. So, you right. know, it really depends. It's not something that will cripple you forever, but there is a lot of uh, ebbs and flows to it, which is actually what makes it so hard for people to understand what it is because – I can't tell you how many times in my life people have told me, well, you look fine. Mm, yes, I'm sure. And that's something that I think people who have disabilities also are trying to f fight the r for the rights for. Um, I know uh, there's a whole thing happening in Massachusetts. A friend of ours of the show in California is starting it too to get, you know, a better Disabilities Act. Like to get, you know, size height you know whether they're invisible or not you know we we have to take care of the most vulnerable and I think that this whole epidemic has this pandemic has really brought all of this to the surface that a lot of people have been kind of like whatevering their whole life away I will say that you came out very early on with um a great article in Huffington Post about the fat shaming and about like the please with the quarantine 15, like enough with the memes. And then this week, which is another reason 
I'm sure this puts stress on people, and I'm sure this is part of your stress. Nancy Pelosi, you know, uses the words morbidly obese, and then it's like Pandora's box everywhere. Like, everyone feels like, oh, if she did it, well, then I have permission to say what I want. Now, I'm actually trying to craft a letter to her because... I think that it's actually an opportunity. I think that it's an opportunity to sort of sneak in and be like, see, this is actually what you did when you did that. Yeah. So funny that you say that because actually, uh, you know, I posted something. I, I should learn to not post things on Facebook because you're always, it's always going to bite you in the ass. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I posted about that and I came from a political background for 14 years, but then now I'm in body positivity. So, I have clearly my all of my friends are like in one camp or the other that really that Nancy Pelosi situation would, um, you know, it would be of interest to both both sides of my friend groups. And I got a very weird response for to it, you know, um, the the Pelosi thing also ties into the immunocompromised thing a little bit. And I'll tell you why, because what she said was that he shouldn't be taking hydrochloroquine uh, because he's older and that, um, you know, it's not going to work because he's, he's overweight and or morbidly obese is what she said, um, which insinuates that hydrochloroquine is not, uh, you know, the, uh, effective for people over a certain weight, which is not true. Um, it is, it's technically known as, it's known as Plaquenil, um, is the, the brand name. And Plaquenil is given to people with lupus and arthritis all the time. I know tons of people on it of all kinds of weights, and it does what it's supposed to do. Why not just say taking this crazy medication has not been proven to prevent coronavirus is nuts. Don't take yes, it. Period. You know? um, and, but instead, we, we went with morbidly obese. And so many people that were in the body pause world, that were in the political world, were all just kind of like coming on me and being like, you know, this is this is just it's fair game. He's terrible. He's the worst. We got to hit him where it hurts. And yeah, I think he's the absolute worst. I think Trump is the biggest disgrace to ever happen to the United States of America, or possibly the world. Uh, but Agreed. That I'm on the mean. same page as that. <laughs> but and so I'm not coming to his defense. But uh, you know, I just don't like hypocrites either. You know, I spent a lot of time talking about fat phobia in the medical community and how we're, we're constantly uh, talking about weight when we should be talking about efficacy of drugs and talking about other health issues. And that's exactly what Nancy Pelosi did. She, she pulled the same old thing where it's just like we make fat the marquee issue, not, oh, I don't know, any one of 10 million horrible things Trump exactly. has actually done. Exactly. You know, we've decided to focus on what he looks like. And so many people said that we need to, you know, uh, hit him the way he hits others and taking the high road is how Democrats lose. And like, I get that we need to come after him hard, but is this how we need to do it? And, no. And this isn't, you know, this isn't about high road, is it? I mean, that's actually like, that's actually not, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. This isn't like going below the belt, like go below the belt, go after his family, which are a bunch of criminals. Go, you know what I mean? Like, like this is not going below the belt. This is hurting a bunch of Americans by ostracizing people who also identify as quote unquote morbidly obese by a medical industry that is completely biased against them. So it's like, yeah, it's, no it's, it's it yeah, it's not, no, it's no not equal. Yeah. And I want to um, write the letter saying, you know, Nancy just, like, and if she's watching, maybe I could send this clip to her person. Um, just like the president's words matter, you're the speaker of the house. Your words matter. And even if it was done innocently, she has been interviewed 4,000 times since then, and she never came back and was like, I'm really sorry for the fat phobia I unleashed across this country, because that's actually what her words do. Yeah, and I mean, what we really need to focus on is the fact that you know, what I've learned just in my small microcosm of, of friends, which I was shocked about, you know, woke people feeling this way is that mm. essentially, if we don't like the guy, it's fair game. So it's like, yeah, like hit him with the fat phobia jokes. Fat phobia works for some people, but doesn't work for others. And it's like, again, I hate hypocrisy. Um, I cannot, on principle, allow this to go to go on because we can't say that fat phobia is okay in certain cases, because 
then where does it end? Who's the judge of that? And and we know damn well that if it were someone, if it were him saying that somebody else shouldn't take the medication, if he was saying, Oprah, don't take this pill because right. you're morbidly obese. Oh, that's a fact. I'm factually talking about your health and try to talk about how it's, it's, you know, fact-based that, you know, it's, that she is overweight. So he's allowed to say that, which is what people are saying about Pelosi, that she's allowed to say it because it's a fact that he is, he is fat. Fact or no fact. Like the, the tone of it is wrong. And if it was somebody else, if it was directed towards a woman, if it was directed towards Oprah, we would be up in arms about it. Exactly. But we're not because we hate Trump. And it's like, why should the hatred of a guy you know, change how we feel on an issue, especially for those of us who are supposed to be mouthpieces for this issue. Exactly. I, I, I agree with all of that. And I think that, again, it's an opportunity to organize. It's an opportunity to galvanize. It's an opportunity to say, hey, I'm going to write this letter. I'm going to actually write my thoughts down about how this is actually harmful to me. And and telling your friends, seeing, you know, as you said, it's not people I don't know. The left really, really loves BMI. The left, like, thinks the rest of it, every other thing is you know, a consumerist, you know, a, a capitalist way of life that I want to change and uproot. But that BMI is real. And I and that anyone who has a higher level of BMI at this point is it's all their fault that they're trash people. Do you know what well, I mean? So other, that's a whole other show. But I can definitely, <laughs> come, to you. I definitely come at you with a lot of statistics and a lot of, you know, uh, history behind where BMI came from um, and, you know, how it's been proven time and again to not only be debunked on, on its correlation to health, but also that there's a, a lot of studies out there who feel that it has been used as a manipulative tool um, to have medical discrimination towards minority groups yeah, who are usually overweight and uh, bigger on the BMI scale. And that this is sort of a, uh, lack of a better term, like legal or scientific way to sort of cover a bigotry. To marginalize, yeah. So there's actually, that's a whole other thing. And I've been actually crafting a, a thought piece on it for a while, but I've been reticent to do so because I, I don't really know, I don't want to be white explaining a minority issue. Um, and so I want to do it in collaboration with, with folks, you know, who might have experienced that kind of discrimination, um, not just because of the color of their skin, but but using BMI as that tool. So I've, re I've read a lot on that issue, but I think that's something that's a whole other thing we can talk about some other time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we have done it on here over and over again, because when it's an astronomer from the 1860s that created that scale to begin with and said it should never be used for um, the, like, deciding whether someone's healthy or not. I mean, it's, it. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. It was manipulated, and we can talk about that another time. I want to talk about more fun things. So let's take a really quick break, like literally 30 seconds, just so I can get some water in my mouth so I'm not, like, mealy mouth. And we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about your quarantine couture and right. such when we return with Plessis. After show, after show, hopefully we have 10 people, 10 people giving $5 on the Patreon. If 10 people give $5 a month, we could do a whole season without giving money, getting money for people we don't trust. Isn't that nice? Guys, I'm literally trying to pimp myself to dating apps to try to get us money. Ooh. I'm scared. Don't make me do that. Ooh. Just give us five dollars. I just sing for my supper, y'all. Singing for my supper. <laughs> um, thank you. Actually, last week we had a couple people actually feel so moved by our Patreon jingle <laughs> that they became patrons. <coughs> so thank you for that. And as always, this can't happen without your support, and I really do appreciate it. Um, okay, you are killing it in quarantine with your couture and I wish my apartment was clean enough to live up to like I have things I can wear but in quarantine one of the things I guess I've done is sort of not care about where things go I was living on top of laundry for like four weeks and then I finally put stuff away and I finally got a bag together to donate um but I I mean 
Did are you inspired by where you live now that and you said that you want to create like a pup tent and have like a, <laughs> a a cushion castle in your house? But do you feel like actually at the beginning you were like, oh, my place is actually really beautiful, and I I'm excited to make these little vignettes of me <laughs> in couture inside. Um, you know, I, I actually yeah, I love my apartment. Um, you know, I built it out to sort of be an event space. I'd show you around a little bit more, but um, I too am really messy. So um, I clean up just enough, just enough for the Zoom and for the hot content. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, trying to pack things up and get things ready has been has been tough uh, around here and trying to get things organized. But I do love it, and I'm really lucky that I have so much absurd stuff that makes for good Instagram um, because I am very flamboyant with my um, like the giant bear head. we have a picture like the of giant that bear, uh the giant bear actually the funny story is my that comes from my mom's insanity of being also flamboyant um I love when that. i moved into here 10 years ago from an old apartment and it was much my old apartment was like the size of the bathroom of, of this place <laughs> <laughs> the apartment is like really small so um you know i had like one of those big like vcr cd like our dvd like TVs that were the old school, like right, right. So I'd ask them, like, "Oh, you can get me a TV for like a housewoman gift." And this huge bear shows up, and I'm like, "Okay." Uh, she's like, "Well, everybody has a TV, but who would have a six foot doorman?" <laughs> I mean, which is a fair point, but like, um, that you know, that's that's something nobody has. But um, yeah, it's it's been kind of my mascot, um, as has the big chair, the Alice in Wonderland chair. Um, that is, you know, that was in the picture with me wearing the suit. It's been in a lot of pictures because it's it's sort of the main thing in my apartment. And behind <laughs> me is uh, some body paws right there. Uh, Ashley Longshore, one of my favorite artists, favorite humans on the planet. It's a piece of hers. It's Coco Chanel. Beautiful. I've seen her paint stuff live. Like she's done oh, videos. She's she is amazing. She is a plus size queen, just a queen in general. I just and she's like the coolest. And I got to interview her for Slink. And I uh, just love her to death. So I, I finally own some of her stuff. But um, I really just kind of figured like I'd have to come up with, get really creative. And I have so much wild stuff that I never really get a chance to wear. Um, like I've had big, crazy hats and all this other stuff. And I thought it'd be really hilarious um, to do this thing called quarantine couture and just like give it all that sort of VIP glam. You know, most of my, my Instagram for those who don't follow me just like fair warning, most of what I do is is pretty tongue in cheek. I'm either getting like super real with you, or like I'm kind of just <laughs> being like really snarky about the whole like influencer thing, which I think is sort of silly. I love the Swiffer, you in a full gown <laughs> Swiffing. Yes, and exactly. Like Swiffering. <laughs> and uh, the very first one installation was some Dolce and Gabbana that I had to mail back for. Uh, I had to mail it back to Eleven on Array because. The day that quarantine happened for New York, uh, we were actually supposed to be doing a huge uh, photo shoot for Slim. Uh -huh. So I had all this stuff in my apartment ready to go to a photo shoot that we had to end up canceling. And so as before I packed up you know, all these amazing spring fashions, that's how it started. <laughs> I, I decided to take pictures of all these you know, amazing uh, items of clothing and all this actual couture. And so the very first thing was uh, me and full Dolce & Gabbana head to toe holding dinty more beef stew <laughs> and i was like dinty by dolce <laughs> was the very first one uh i also did goya beans by gucci uh, <laughs> you had all the canned goods all ready to go yeah exactly i got all, i got all the canned goods and all the couture what more could a girl ask for but um you know if you can't I want to ask you, I want to ask you though, I, you, so you, this happens to you, this comes to you, the, the quarantine. And like you said, you're ready to produce an issue and it's a whole other issue. It's a whole other <laughs> as issue. you know, as you know, because I called you frantically, uh, <laughs> no, uh, so Slink, you know, had to pivot really quickly, um, for a few reasons. Uh, obviously we know we couldn't finish our photo shoots. Um, because we had to be socially distant, but also it just, you know, I was talking to Rivki, our editor in chief in London and, and they hadn't locked down yet. You know, we, we were locked down already, but London hadn't been. And, uh, we decided, look, 
this the world is going to change and we need to give the, our readers content that makes sense content that has compassion content that's useful you know it's completely tone deaf to give them our usual fun luxury jet set you know fashion in a time where people are so uncertain and scared for their jobs scared for their lives you know it just didn't seem right it didn't sit right with us so we did our very first completely free digital issue because we also gave away free ad space to small businesses that needed a boost which was so cool and i thought that was really awesome you know and i i reached out to a ton of people and i'm like you know this is what we can pay we're i did it out of pocket um because you had to do it really quickly <laughs> and uh, on a shoestring budget because we didn't have advertisers but we came up with uh, nearly 100 pages of incredible content from what to binge watch, you know, to you know, your piece that I, I love too. And we're talking about taking taking breaks from, you know, unplugging and, and uh, then how to organize your spaces. We had best loungewear. I mean, just incredible things that we're able to get all these perspectives so quickly. But the thing I was most impressed with has to be the cover um, and our editorials. This is the first time we've done an entire issue with everybody solo quarantined. So we had to ask for submissions. We were looking for editorial submissions, which 99% of things probably would never cut cut it for Sling, especially for Ripkey. Like you have a very strong- Right, of, yeah. Uh, you uh, what our Sling aesthetic is. You know, yeah. we spent so much time coming up with what it was supposed to look like. And I talked to Lydia Hudgens, who's the one who did who Love shot the, um, the editorial that ended up in the uh, the cover. And also she has another one in there that's this gorgeous thing of uh, nudes of all sizes, a very like artsy, uh, blurry, like nudes dancing. It's fabulous. Um, our, our site is still up. You know, um, the issue is still up. If you go to Slink Magazine, um, you'll, uh, the Instagram, you'll be able to find the link and download it. And read the issue. And we'll link um, it here, too. If anybody at home wants to link in the comments, they're commenting, by the way. People are chit-chatterati. Oh, cool. Yes, okay. yes. Um, My I, sister, I if she's comment. watching, will do it. She's the best. Um, yeah, no, it's it's really, it's fantastic. And Matt Sales, who lives in L.A., who's a good friend of mine, he did another one of our uh, submissions for an editorial. And it was just uh, fabulous to see what people had kind of laying around that they, yeah. <laughs> that they had worked on recently. With, with models and the fabulous teams um, that hadn't been published anywhere else. And so in a matter of days, we were able to basically put everything else on hold um, while I'm in quarantine or, you know, our London team's trying to lock down and move and do all this stuff. And this, I can't thank everyone enough for, for all the work that they put into it. And it's just, it was really great. And I think it's, um, it sets the right tone for, the kind of stuff that I like to do, which is something that's useful, something that's inspiring. Um, you know, we talk on hard issues like how to deal with pandemic panic, but we also show you some trends. So it's a good, again, a really good blend of getting really real with you, but also having stuff that's really light. And I, I love the the altruism behind, uh, you know, helping out small businesses as well. So it was weird to do our first, you know, totally free uh, digital issue and like. 72 hours you know? <laughs> uh, but it was take that it was Anna really exhilarating. it's <laughs> exhilarating to see what people can do in quarantine I am endlessly impressed with people's creativity well let's talk about that let's talk about moving forward I mean Vanity Fair had a lot of nerve and just published these unbelievable pictures of Catherine O'Hara. I think we have them to show you guys at home if you're watching on video. If you're not, you have to Google it while you're listening to the podcast to get your eyeballs in. They were done by drone, and I just am all about it. I mean, obviously, she lives in a beautiful place, and that's kind of easy for her to manage, but I feel like this drone thing has a lot of potential. I mean, it it's... It really, and also even the Zoom, uh, maybe people aren't even using Zoom. They're using other uh, streaming opportunities, photographers, to take shots. Um, are you guys looking forward to your next issue being sort of in that ilk? Like, how are you guys being creative as you move forward? Um, yeah, we actually uh, just sent in my my sort of pitch and ideas of, of what the fall issue should look like. You know, we're going to assume that um, we're going to probably be 
back in quarantine from the second wave probably for the fall. And um, but even if not, I mean, um, it's tough to do print right now with with her, you know, distribution and, and the safety of people going to these stores to get the stuff might be up in the air. So I think digital makes the most sense. And, um, you know, drones is not something I really thought about. Um, you know, I both, you know, Matt Sales and Lydia um, both did these FaceTime photo shoots. I was actually a subject of one of them for Matt. So I got to see how it works. It's really cool. Um, where basically he would put his phone on a white uh, background and then sort of direct me through FaceTime and take pictures. And, um, you know, so he does this it, whole series and he's, he shot people for uh, Vanity Fair and for, you know, all kinds of really amazing shows and um, Entertainment Weekly. So he has like some celebrities in this thing as well, which is pretty cool. So I'm like very honored to be in, in such great com company. Um, but to do that through FaceTime was something I didn't expect. And I didn't feel like I was disconnected from him at all. You know, I felt like he was in the room and directing me. That's and I'm amazing. not used to being direct. You know, I'm not someone who's usually in front of the camera. So um, or somebody else's cameras. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, there's definitely ways to do this kind of photo shoots remotely. Um, you know, I think we could probably be looking towards that. Um, but, you know, sneak peek, uh, you know, I'll just tell you guys, uh, just and all tell us. your followers, but, um, you know, it's going to be our 10th year. So I think so, um, you know, there also might be some really fun um, throwbacks too in this next issue. We'll see. That's fun. I mean, you have been nailing it throughout the years. I, whenever anyone puts a throwback Thursday photo from Slink or even one that like, I'm like, Oh, gorgeous. And someone's like, that's Slink. I'm like, of course it is like, duh. It's like anything that I'm obsessed with is totally Slink. Um, yeah, well, the fun fact about it that I always think is really amazing. A great fun fact is that um, Tess Holiday uh, found out that she was going to get signed on the set of her very first editorial shoot. It was for sleep. Look at that. That's yeah. incredible. That's incredible. I love that. Um, I want to take another quick break um, because we have to talk about the Sunset Strip and music. And I want to also answer some questions that people may have. So this is a longer break. Oh, I should probably set it up because there's no setup. Um, I'm a part of a sketch comedy group called Fatch and we love each other so much and think we're so funny when we Skype each other or we don't Skype. No one's Skyping, house party, whatever app you're using that we're like, people should totally see us. So we recorded it and this is like a little segment. We're doing that on Tuesdays at 7.30. But here's a little clip for you to uh, one of our first attempts at this. Hi, girls. What's up, Fatch? Hi. Hi. Thank Hi. you. Hello. How's everybody doing with all this pandemic stuff? I'm good. Um, I'm Gloria, in case everyone forgot. Uh -oh. um, Who could forget uh, you? A lot of people. Oh. <laughs> Cinco de Mayo, no one forgets Gloria. No one. No one. We, the Mexicans are victorious over the French. Oh, is that is that what Cinco de Mayo is for? It is not <laughs> Independence Day. Cinco de Mayo is the Battle of Puebla, where the uh, Mexican people were victorious, overthrowing the French uh, colonizers. Uh, but then the Spanish were still there. So, all right. Well, you know, you can't you can't get rid of all your colonizers at once. What are you gonna do? It's, it's like we just, it's a battle but everyone just thinks of it as like the biggest mexican holiday but the mexican independence day is actually september 16th nice see you learn something yep. what well, see facts we don't just we don't just entertain we educate okay yeah all right yes renee a lot of people were talking about their feelings of rage against the orange Cheeto. That's what we call them in Fatch, um, in charge, the Cheeto in chief. But they also said like in that instinct to want to like be really based, they were like, whoa. So people were agreeing with you, but they were talking about how it was hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I, get yeah. it. I mean, he's the worst and you want to just like, 
you know, hit him as low as you can. And all bets are off because that's how he treats everyone else. And you feel they should give them a taste of their own medicine. But like you said, it's bigger than that. It's not just about hurting him. Yeah. You know, it's like she just went in there and was just like, you're really broke. And you're like, you're a shitty I, business I mean, person. Yes. You know, that dude's going to get all flustered because that's the stuff he cares about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just don't think this is the way to do it, especially since, you know, I've been part of people who clap back on him a million times. And he's constantly fat shaming other people. And all he ends up doing is they're sloughing off the fact that people call him fat. Or, or they're like coming up with some sort of bogus doctor's note saying that he's in perfect health. Exactly. So, I mean, it almost doesn't even matter because you're not even, exactly. you're not even getting in, sticking in his craw the way you want. Exactly. So we should all you. just keep calling him a criminal and a murderer because that's what he's doing. He's murdering people by his inadequacies. Yes. Okay. So, moving on. Um, you have been fundraising so much, and I love the idea of eats for EMTs you have a GoFundMe page so it's not just if in you're in it's not only if you're in New York that was hard for me to say so um can you talk about how that came about I mean I know you work with you know um the fire department of New York I know you work with all the frontline people all the time um can you talk give a little bit of a history about why you wanted to do something specific for them um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, obviously, actually, to, to tell you the story of ETV MTs, I'll just quickly take one step back to the first uh, relief effort that I did in quarantine, which uh, we actually ended up calling Ciso Puede, um, <laughs> that was about people selling masks uh, and hospital gowns for the uh, shortage. And that was before people, you know, everyone now is doing it. Like right. this was, uh, you know, first week of quarantine in March. I saw a lot of my friends who are nurses looking for masks, and I also saw a lot of my friends who are small businesses or free fashion freelancers that were out of a job, and I'm like, this is a way to put these two things together, and uh, invest in my own money, because now I had all this money laying around from canceled trips and canceled I know, it's amazing how much money uh, I'm saving. It's and, absolutely and ridiculous. So I, I hired a bunch of fashion freelancers to then uh, make a button, you know, so I can help them out. And uh, so I hired a bunch of fashion freelancers to make masks and send them to um, a lot of the, the New York uh, area hospitals. We had about 3,000 uh, masks and hospital gowns that, that went out in a matter of a couple of weeks. And at, at a time where it was really critical and like things were not available to people. That, yes, it was at the very beginning. And the thing is, I started to realize that everyone else, things that are so much bigger than me were stepping up. And, um, you know, the mask situation is something I could never personally get my hands around. And so, uh, you know, about $25,000 worth of, of stuff and then um, kind of closed that operation down, uh, started a Facebook group for people to network with each other, you know, so that can kind of continue on. But um, I wanted to come up with something else um, that I could sort of help people with, because I love that idea of being able to infuse much needed revenue into small businesses while also serving a purpose for our frontline workers. And because I had worked in politics for a really long time, um, you know, I, I, I knew some labor union folks to call. And um, my very first job in New York actually was working for SCIU, the healthcare union. And oh. um, so uh, you know, when I talked to the mayor's fund, I talked to these unions, I saw that so many people were, again, stepping up to feed uh, all of the frontline workers in the hospitals. Then they realized no one was talking about EMTs. You know, we were talking about just the hospitals specifically right. and forgetting the fact that FDNY EMS um, is, you know, there's they're 4,000 strong across the city. They are consistently overburdened. They take the bulk of the 911 calls but they're also historically the lowest paid first responders in New York City. I did not know that. And um, I thought, you know, this is an opportunity to really help these guys that it might be overlooked because you're not thinking of FDNY as being something that COVID-19 is going to be really affecting. But um, it absolutely is. And th these folks are in very small station houses, um, working 24-7, putting themselves out there, responding to all the 911 calls in their ambulances. And... Um, I spoke to um, their, their local FDNY EMS uh, union and pitched them the idea. I put it on Facebook, saying, okay, guys, like, there's my second idea. 
I'm going to call it E3 MTs. Um, who knows small businesses that are dying, you know, that might need um, maybe like a, a 500 or $1,000 order could really make or break them. And, um, you know, who, who do you know? And within a matter of hours, I got a ton of people suggested. And actually, one of the folks that are uh, that run Shake Shack gave me a call. And I bluntly told them, you're too big for me to worry about. Good for <laughs> you. Was this before uh, after they got the money or gave the money back? <laughs> um, this is before they gave the money back. Mm. But I will say, though, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to the defense on this. All right. Because, listen, are... I love a concrete. I love a concrete. So, so I, will come to, I will come to the defense on one thing. So I actually ended up kicking off E3 MTs with Shake Shack because they called me first. And I did have a very long conversation with the executive chef. Again, how I thought they were too big and that's not what I was trying to accomplish. And, you know, I need something smaller. And um, but I understand that they have a, a real New York story and started as a kiosk in Madison Square Park, which is my community board, which I serve on in New York City government. So I get it. And I, and I thought it was a great story. But, you know, when I started to talk to them a little bit more about how they are scaling back, et cetera, so they were getting kind of hit hard, but what they were able to do for me that I couldn't ask of smaller businesses was to do things basically at cost and wow. to, take okay. on the burden, to, to take on the burden to go into areas that were, I wasn't able to find other restaurants or, you know, to get things in massive bulk, you know, it's like to kick this off, like they could, they could easily do hundreds of burgers in a day right. Um, right. to go all over the place. And um, that's exactly what they did actually. And so what I thought was really amazing is that um, the, the people who run it themselves, <laughs> you know, um, the, and so like this executive chef took his, his minivan <laughs> and picked up a manager at a Shake Shack and drove hundreds and hundreds of burgers around the South Bronx for me uh, himself. <laughs> wow. um, and that was actually really cool. So, I mean, they they didn't want press. You know, I started, I was on New York One, Fox and Friends, like CBS, NBC. I got all kinds of press about this when it first launched. That's why we were able to raise, you know, nearly $30,000 Incredible. quickly. Um, and I, I reach out to them like, do you, do you need me to talk to your PR people? Like, we don't care. That's not what this is about. Well, that's good. I appreciated that. So, you know, I don't want to trash talk them for being a big business, but I am more uh, excited about the fact that I've had over a dozen uh, small mom and pops come forward that I, I have found through uh, all different kinds of ways and the power of social media um, where those thousand dollar orders were make or break. Uh, and they've been just so happy to help. And the EMTs are so incredibly touched by, by our efforts and by the, you know, having a, a nice hot meal, uh, to, to have waiting for them to grab and go, uh, when they've been on shift for, for days, uh, some are not even going home. They're so. not, I know. And they, they keep interviewing them and I'm like, just le stop talking to them. Just let them have a minute of rest in the back yeah. of the, in the back of their car. So, is this still something, was it limited time or were you able to extend it? Is Can people still give to this if they want to? Um, yes. So the, the GoFundMe is called Eats for EMTs um, and it, it is still active. However, today, um, so it's EMS week and uh, today our uh, sort of our last orders went out hypothetically. Um, I raised just enough <laughs> to get through the entire list of uh uh, the station houses uh, citywide, which is really incredible, frankly. Um, so if we raise more money, then I'll go back around through the list. <laughs> um, but right now, so please donate. Uh, you know, I'm happy to do this as long as I get money coming in. But right now, you know, kind of stalled out uh, with the momentum. Um, but if you you're know, somebody watching who actually has a thousand dollars, which who knows, this could get to somebody who has a thousand dollars that this is a great idea, even if it's not through this GoFundMe or whatever, you can yeah. order, you can find out where your local firehouse is and you can make place an order, a large order for those people and, and with one of your local restaurants. Yes, I, I think that we, that's the takeaway that we have to, you know, no pun intended on takeaway, but <laughs> um, <laughs> that w really people need to remember to, to shop local and help their local restaurants. This is something that they can really do. And a lot of restaurants are already um, shipping out tons of stuff and partnering with hospitals. 
that's amazing, but I have been avoiding them because if you're already doing that much business, you don't need me. So look for the people that don't know how to keep their lights on or possibly don't have their lights on during quarantine at all. That happened with me. I called a couple of friends I knew were running restaurants that are closed because they couldn't afford to stay open during quarantine. And I offered this program to them and I said, you know, if you could come back into the kitchen for a day, would you be willing to do this? Do you need the money? And they're like, so excited to have the offer to, they went and reopened the, for the day, you know, opened the kitchen for one day just to, to do this because they really needed the money. So, um, you know, I'm happy to, to do this, but it's also inspired a lot of folks, um, my friends all over the country to do something similar. And um, I'm, I'm very happy to, to, that I've been able to inspire people, but I, I'm a community organizer by, by trade and also in my heart, I always have been, and it's very, very hard to be a bystander and stuck on my couch. So, um, you know, I'm constantly trying to raise money and try to help people. And um, on my, my next uh, thing that I'm, I'm helping my friends' organizations uh, do is, is now ship uh, PPE uh, and things to, to Navajo Nation. They're, they're in desperate need. So it's like I'm looking for the people that are in the most desperate need and are being constantly overlooked. Yeah. Um, yeah. And putting my efforts there because that is where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And that's where it's going to be most appreciated. So whether you have $10 or you have $10,000, think of that, you know, think about the people who really, really need it and not just, you know, lopping it on top of a a national organization already raising. Right. Right. As, as great as all these organizations are, this, this trickle down theory also pertains to giving. So I want to talk about another neighborhood. I want to talk about, the Sunset Strip. I want to talk about the Troubadour, which has said that they might need to close their doors, and they have a GoFundMe going right now. Um, I, I know you have spent a lot of time there, and <laughs> you you know where some bodies are buried. Is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, I am. S- I'm saving kind of zero money, honestly, during, uh, <laughs> I, I might be spending substantially more money in quarantine because of all these GoFundMes. I'm extremely passionate about saving places. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I have my GoFundMes and my projects um, that I'm trying to save people in New York, but I have a lot of friends, obviously, in LA. And if we weren't in quarantine, I would be at the Sunset Marquee right now in West Hollywood, uh, getting ready to go see my favorite bands, uh, Faith No More, System of a Down, at Bank of America Arena, but I'm not. Right, uh, right. <laughs> uh, and I had a lot of shows planned for 2020, and coronavirus got in my way. Um, but small venues are really important, and as you know, because you have an incredible voice, an incredible band. No. Um, and I used to have a band in New York. Yes, same. Yes. Incredible voice, incredible band. Yes. Those small venues, um, you know, are my my heart and soul. um, And the rainbow on the Sunset Strip um, is laying off a lot of their folks. They had a GoFundMe, and I don't think it's going very well. So, uh, you know, my sister and I were actually just texting about it yesterday. We're like, the rainbow cannot close. Like, it's extremely important. I mean, I remember reading about the rainbow in like in Hammer of the Gods, the Led Zeppelin book, when I was a kid, being like, one day I'm gonna go to LA. And then it turns out that it's like my favorite place. I've literally got had like every birthday there. <laughs> when I was in California. Uh, their chicken soup saved me from like multiple times I've been extremely sick. Um, their food's amazing. Yeah, I've met Motorhead there. You know. It is, it is wild. Uh, and and it's something there. that it's you like, can't really, now that CBGB's is gone in New York, you, there's no real way to describe it. Like it's, it is unlike any other place in the world. Even CBGB's wasn't really a diner attached to a crazy venue. And like, that's what the feel, it's not, it doesn't look like a diner. It looks like a lounge, but it feels like a diner where everyone hangs out there all the time. I mean, it it really is crazy. I just want to pitch something right before we leave. I think that you and I could come up with a really crazy, fun fundraising Zoom event and have a big girls karaoke, let's save the Sunset Strip. 
and oh it should be like me, you, and every other fat chick we know just like singing metal stuff. And and let's do it for charity. Let's figure it I out. I love this. I love this. I love this. You know, because we do have a lot of rock chicks. We have a lot of people who can sing. Um, but also, if we can open it beyond the, the plus girls, you know, I have a lot of people I think that could be, be willing to help because um, the Sunset Strip is a cultural icon for you know, not only rock, but um, but for so many people in the entertainment industry, no matter what kind of music you like. Yeah, and just coming up. I mean, just people who, I mean, it's thrilling to watch people at the very beginning you know, and and how effective they can be, even if there's only 15 people in the crowd. I've seen unreal things at all the venues on the Strip, like these performances where I'm like, wow, are you going to be famous a year from now? But even if you're not, this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. Yeah, (laughs) like whether you're the Doors or you're Greta Von Fleet playing like to six people at the Viper Room or something, it's like you, and then you go on to play Coachella. It's like those things that start right there, but um, you know, it goes beyond the history of it, but really the Sunset Strip itself, you know, it needs to create, it's, it keep its character. It is something that, you know, I talk about a lot about cultural landmarks in New York a lot from my, my work in government. And I would say if I was in LA, I really call that a cultural landmark. That, without um, doubt. Without, without doubt. doubt. Yeah. But also at its core, these are really amazing people who work there in the service industry. The food is amazing at the Rainbow. The, the, <laughs> the drinks are fantastic over at the old Red Rock, which I think is called social now. And, um, you know, these are things that are just cool and they're really great small businesses that even if they didn't have um, celebrities in them or, or that kind of history to it, I'd still really need to save because we also need to save um, the places for artists. I mean, that's why we don't keep talking about small businesses and artist spaces and stuff in New York too. It's like, this is what makes life worth living. Exactly. If if they all go under in this time, then, you know, what is going to happen of our, of our urban landscape. So I'm a hundred percent in. All right. We're going to work it out. Everybody. We're going to work it out. So keep watch this space. Thank you so much for being here. People can find you at Foxy Roxy Fashion and at Slink Magazine. You like to post sometimes too. And I uh, can announce that Reagan Chastain will be here next week to talk a little bit about. She has a clapback seminar. She's not calling it that. I'm calling it that. Um, (laughs) On June 4th. And it's basically like if you're fat and you're sick of seeing people talk shit, what she has, she wants to train you on the really like smart successful clapbacks you can have for people who think they know when they just don't so um definitely come back next week renee thank you it's so lovely to see your face thank you so much you're Abby. gorgeous oh, i love I didn't you know I was gonna shoot to me again by the way amazing cook amazing quarantine cook and i don't understand if she wants a husband she might not want one but if there someone needs to make her a wife because she's unbelievable i guess i'm accepting offers um, (laughs) uh, british and irish accents should come to the front should apply Um, (laughs) yeah no i'm i'm enjoying some some lovely sour worms right now perfect awesome lady it's so good to see you we'll see you next week at plus this thanks guys